Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. So Jesus had been performing some incredulous miracles in villages in Galilee, and on this day, uh, he's in his hometown. He's in, he's in Nazareth, and, and Luke captures the moment in his gospel in chapter 4. He's, he's in the synagogue, he's in Nazareth, and he has been invited to teach. He, he's going to speak. And uh, the scroll, the Isaiah scroll, is given to him. And Jesus uh, takes that scroll and he searches through it uh, to look for the perfect text that he wants to speak from on that day. And he turns to what is in our Bibles as uh, Isaiah chapter 61. There wouldn't have been a number 61 in his scroll, uh, but he would have found his way to this text. And this is what he read on that day. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies." Jesus finishes reading the text, and he sits down, and as Luke captures the moment, all eyes are fixed intently on him. You see, Isaiah, when he first penned those words, first put ink to scroll, this was a, a prophetic declaration of a future reality, and Jesus has just read this, and then what he will say next is that this text is now fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus is saying is the Messiah that Isaiah talked about is this future reality. This reality is now and I am the Messiah. And everyone is looking at Jesus and they are full of anticipation. And as as Luke tells the story, people are pleased. They say that his words are gracious as Jesus unpacks the text. They are amazed at Jesus. The, the sermon is going well. The talk is going well. And, and everyone likes Jesus in, in, in this moment. But the, the, the surging popularity of Jesus' sermon on that day is about to take a left turn, right turn. It's about to, it's about to plummet. Uh, It it begins with a little bit of doubt as people are amazed at Jesus and about the fact that he's been doing all these miracles. He's done miracles in Capernaum and other villages. Uh, They're they're beginning to say to themselves, isn't this Joseph's kid? I mean, isn't this the kid that we saw playing in the dirt? I mean, isn't this the kid who we saw grow up in Joseph and Mary's household? And, and over-familiarity begins to sort of seep in and create a little doubt. And, and, and people are wondering, really, is, is, is he the Messiah? And it's at this moment that Jesus actually does perform his first miracle. He tells the people what they're thinking. 
You see, Jesus has been doing all these miracles in other villages, and uh, people are amazed, and they love Jesus' talk, and they love the fact that a Messiah is, is, is here because they want to throw off Roman oppression. They want the true Israel to rise back to power. They want to be the ruling class once again. And Jesus knows that they, they want him to prove that, that he's the Messiah by doing some of the miracles that they've heard about in other villages. And so Jesus tells the people what they are thinking. He says to them, about now, what you're going to say is, physician, heal yourself. I mean, prove it. Prove that you're the, the Messiah. Prove that you're the physician, so to speak. And do some of the amazing things that we've heard about. And Jesus uh, tells people what they're thinking. And then he does something that is absolutely, well, it's going to cause the popularity of his polls to take a deep dive. Because Jesus is going to talk about race. He's going to talk about miracles, but he's going to, he's going to talk about it in, in the context of, of, of how Jews perceive Gentiles. And so what Jesus does in this moment where, again, people were amazed, they were pleased, they were ecstatic, and now the doubt is starting to creep in with a little bit of over-familiarity. And Jesus says, you know, uh, in the days of Elijah, Elijah, one of Israel's most famous prophets, when he prayed and the heavens were shut up and there was no rain for three and a half years and an incredible famine, there were a lot of people who were struggling in those days. In fact, there were many destitute Jewish widows in those days, but God never sent Elijah to one of them. Actually, what God did is he sent Elijah, not to a Jew, but to an Arab woman in Sidon, the widow of Zarephath. Uh, Sidon is located in modern-day Lebanon. Uh, the father did not send Elijah to meet the needs of a Jewish widow, but actually to meet the needs of an Arab widow. And in the days of Elisha, do you know that there were all kinds of Jewish lepers in that day? And Elisha was never prompted by God to go and cleanse or heal any one of those lepers. In fact, Elisha never heals a Jewish leper, but he does heal one leper by the power of God. He heals a Syrian leper named Naaman. And, and Jesus throws out these two examples of, of miracles that were done not for Jews, but for people outside the ruling class, the, the people with the social power uh, or longing for the social power of the day, who thought that they were uh, special in God's eyes, and they were, but for a purpose. Um, Jesus brings these up, and people are not happy with his talk. In fact, as Luke tells the story, uh, the people in a synagogue on that day go from excitement and amazement, and they're so pleased with Jesus' talk, to ah, a, little bit of, a little bit of doubt, you know, seasoned with over-familiarity, to then they grab him, and imagine grabbing him by the collar, grabbing him by the arms. They take him out in the village. Nazareth is sort of placed on this cliff, and they take him to the brow of the hill, and their intent is to push him off the cliff and make him fall to his death. Look, I, I, I've preached a lot of messages and I've gotten emails where people have not been happy about what I've had to say and sent the email during the message as I'm preaching it. I've gotten emails later in the day. I've, got, I've gotten some pretty uh, heated emails and uh, questioning suspicious emails, people doubting what I had to say early in the week. But I can tell you for sure, I've never had someone after I preached the message drag me out of the service and take me to a cliff hoping to push me off to my death. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen in this series. The only reason I bring any of that up is because 
what happened in first century Israel and what took place there, what's true in that day and age is true today. Friends, the topic of race is an emotionally charged topic. And emotions run at all-time highs when we engage in a conversation like the conversation we're engaging in in this series called Chasing Justice. I mean, you've, you've watched the news. You've seen the emotion. You've seen the, the guns being toted and waved and pointed at people. Uh, you, you've seen the punches being thrown. You've seen the windows being smashed. You've seen the shouts of anger. You've, you've seen all of that. You, you, you've seen the protests. You've, you've watched one group speak against another, another group. And, and there's all this emotion, all this pent up frustration, all this questioning, this doubting. It's rising in this moment. And friends, can I just tell you that this has been going on for a very long time. I don't say that in any way to minimize the importance of the topic. I just want you to say it. I want you to hear from me that from the very front end of this series that we're engaging in in the month of July called Chasing Justice, that this is a topic that hits a nerve. That this is a topic that causes the emotions to... To go from, we're amazed, we're pleased, we like this. Wait a minute, where's he going here? To boom, lots of emotion. And so I say that because I know as we, as we move forward in these days, that in some ways, as I speak on this topic, that I am speaking and tiptoeing my way through the proverbial minefield. But even as I do, can I just say that as I, as I have this conversation, I sort of imagine myself as we get and talk about what, what is the justice we're chasing and how do we chase it, before I can even get there, I have to imagine in my own mind that there are different groups of listeners. Perhaps one of these groups fits where you're at this morning as you listen uh, on the front end of this series. Uh, w- one group I would just call the suspicious because anytime you talk about justice or you talk about social justice, there's this idea that when you talk about justice or social justice, that, that in, in the days gone by, that, that, well, that's sort of linked to compromise, isn't it? I mean, that, that people who engage in social justice, they sort of wander from, from bedrock doctrine and truth. And so when we start talking about living in right relationships with others or practicing justice, there's this suspicion of, hey, our... Are we in any way watering down the conversation about what is true? And yet, uh, um, even, even a little bit deeper, as I come to you and I talk to you about justice, some of you are suspicious, wondering, okay, where, where's Fowler at? I mean, is he a liberal or is he conservative? I mean, is, is, he, is he Democrat or is he Republican? Is he Blue Lives Matter or is he Black Lives Matter? I mean, where, did, where does Fowler land on this topic? And so you're listening very carefully, trying to decipher how I say, say something or what I say, and you and you're just want to weigh out what's my approach going to be. Now, I, I want to be able to answer some of those questions. And you might find yourself listening today with a little bit of suspicion as we have this conversation. The second group I want to talk to that you may be out there is I would just call the prophetic. The, the prophetic community among us... Uh, uh, they are so gifted in seeing where the church is and where God is, but particularly what they notice is the gap between where the church is and where God is. And whenever the gap is wide, there is a sadness that resides in their heart. And oftentimes the sadness can give birth to frustration and the frustration can give birth to anger. 
And the temptation is to be so disillusioned from where the church is on any given issue and to withdraw. And maybe even leave. I imagine a third group of listeners. I would call these the, the peace fakers. You know who you are. Peacemakers are, are those like, can we just kind of move on? And can we just, I'll just kind of, I mean, can we just go to, can we just love each other and move forward? And there's some of you who just want the ripples in the water to go away so you can keep on moving on. And maybe that describes you as a listener on the front end of this series. Or maybe you're what I, what I call a, a younger Christian. You've embraced causes. You love justice. You're pursuing social justice. And, and you're excited about this conversation. You're hopeful about where we might go and, and how this might deepen our commitment to our vision of a city at peace with God. Yet, oftentimes what happens is that the attention is given to the cause. And, and sometimes the, the one who is just is forgotten in the conversation. And the last group of uh, listeners that I might imagine, I would just call the anti-institutional church. That may be too strong of a label. I'm just trying to figure out a way to describe someone who's listening today. And you may be thinking, chasing justice? A conversation that the church is having? Isn't the church guilty of some of the most egregious errors in church history? Really? Chasing justice? And it causes, some, causes you to maybe scratch your head a little bit. Let me just say that to, to each group listening, by the way, if you can't find a, maybe a category that I've just created, maybe there's one that describes you, maybe you can kind of articulate in your own mind what that might be, or maybe you're someone who just struggles to be put in a box, you see yourself as unique, so I'll create a, a box, a, a category of listener called unique, and you can go where everyone else is going there, who, uh, who, who's unique. I'm kind of playing with you a little bit. But let me just say, if you find yourself as someone who is suspicious this morning, can I just say that what I hope you'll see is when it comes to social justice, actually we should turn this on its head and say actually we should be suspicious of compromise when social justice is not connected to the Gospels. I'll show you that this morning. And if you're wondering, is Fowler liberal, conservative, you know, Democrat or Republican? Is he a Fox News disciple or a CNN disciple? Where does he land on this? Can I just tell you right from the very outset, friends, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus is my king. And so on any topic, I, like you, come under the word and we let the scriptures inform us. We let the spirit of God who wrote the scriptures inspired, these scriptures are God-breathed. We let the word of God trump any idea that we may, that I may have when it comes to a, to a topic as important as this one. So I just want to say to you, you do not have to worry about reading between the lines. My personality is I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. I'm going to put it out there. You don't have to worry about do I, how do I interpret what he just said. I'm just, I'm just going to speak it as it is. And if, if you sense a lack of clarity, you're more than welcome to contact me on this. But I'm, I have a tendency to speak what I'm going to speak so you won't have to be suspicious. To the prophetic, can I just say this? 
your sadness and your anger and your frustration, can I challenge you not to allow that to go to a critical spirit? Can I challenge you not to withdraw, not to leave, but actually to engage? And can I challenge you to do that with your prophetic gifting in such a way as to not pray on the church, but to pray for her? And can I say to those who are peacemakers that you know this very well, that on the backside of entering into difficult conversations is incredible beauty. That actually there's, there's incredible advancement for relationships and for the kingdom of God when we engage in the difficult conversations. I understand. I understand the, the desire for, can we just move on? But friends, in many ways, we can't move on until we have the difficult conversations. To the younger Christians, can I say again, I applaud your heart for social justice. But let me just say that, that you know, good news, good deeds builds goodwill that opens the door to speak the good news. And as you pursue justice, as you dig wells for clean water, as we provide health insurance for those who don't have insurance or dental, or, I'm sorry, dental coverage or health coverage, uh, or care, med- mental health care for those who, who aren't uh, seeing and getting any care. We provide language learning for those who are immigrants among us. Can I just say to us that as we do that, yes, we are demonstrating the love of Christ, but as God opens the door, as Paul prays, may we be quick to speak of the one who is just, and may evangelism not be absent from this conversation about justice. And for the person who maybe you're questioning whether we, how, how's a church even having this conversation, and uh, as you see the errors of a church, let me just say this to you. If you have a passion for justice, if you have desire for justice, I applaud that. But let me challenge you to investigate your worldview, perhaps as an atheist or perhaps as a secularist, in, in, a, in a world dominated by this idea that it's survival of the fittest. And can I just say, in that worldview, the strong eat the weak. And oppression and injustice is normal in that worldview. And can I say to you that I challenge you to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. It's only the Christian worldview that pursues this justice. It's only the Christian worldview that sees every person, man and woman, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, South American, South African, Egyptian, whatever nation is represented on our planet throughout history, every one of them, the word of God tells us, are image bearers of God. It is only the Christian worldview that speaks this. And can I remind you, as you say, you see the egregious errors, and they are there. In no way do I want to say that those errors are trying to whitewash or try and cover or try in any way minimize that kind of error. Can I say to you that wherever you see the counterfeit, you can be assured that there is the genuine. And I say this all on the forefront of this series simply to say, as we see in Luke chapter 4, this is such an emotionally charged topic that I have to take the first 15 minutes of a talk just to lay some caveats out so that we can all take a deep breath and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us as we listen to him. Friends, I have been asking for an extra measure of grace from God as we engage in this conversation. And I ask for an extra measure of grace from you. Undoubtedly, I will say things 
that I had no knowledge that would trigger a response, and I probably already have. And I'm asking for an extra measure of grace from you in this season as we engage in this conversation because my intent is to pursue the heart of God on this topic. And yet I know that based on my own origin story and who I am, that I have the propensity to make mistakes and perhaps say something that's hurtful that is not my intent. And so I ask for an extra measure of grace from you. I understand that I'm walking through perhaps some dangerous territory in this conversation, the proverbial minefield. And I encourage us to think the best of one another as we do. So I say all that on the front end just to say, friends, do not be surprised as we enter into this conversation that you might scratch your head. And I would say to you that if you find yourself offended, as I often say as we talk about these topics that, that, that touch nerves in us, I've worked my very best to offend all of us. So if you're offended today and you're worried about someone else getting their shot, don't worry, their, their chance will come. I don't want to unnecessarily offend, but the fact of the matter is that as we read the word of God, it should offend us every now and then. If it doesn't, we should be concerned. And on this topic, we must all be great listeners of the word of God as well as doers. Having said all that, Let's dive in and let's just talk about this series we're calling Chasing Justice. What is the justice that we are chasing? What is this, this justice that we are speaking about? And even on the front of the, it's very important that we define this so what we know what we're talking about because this, this, this sort of justice encompasses all the wrongs that we see in this world that we long to be, to be made right. And in the Hebrew Bible, there are two, two words that are typically used to translate into justice, oftentimes that are translated into the word righteousness. And the first word is the word mishpat. Mishpat is a word that's used 200 times in the Old Testament. Again, it's sometimes translated righteousness, sometimes translated justice. We see those as separate kind of topics. My, ho my hope is that today you'll see those actually, they go together. That, that when it comes to mishpat, re, mishpat is a, this idea of, of a, a justice that has got, it's got retribution attached to it. What I mean by that is justice, if you rob a store, there are going to be consequences. There will be retribution. You might be arrested. You might be fined for your act of injustice. For many of us, when we think about the word justice, that's where we live. We see wrong. We want that to be made right. We see something done. We, we want that to be punishment. And so the rules are there, and we don't want anything to do with lawlessness. And, and that is definitely a part of justice. Friend, that's just part of the, the picture of justice. Because what I want you to see, we'll put, put the words on the screen. We want to define what mishpat is. Mishpat is the rule of law through which disputes are settled, as well as restorative justice that cares for those who are being taken advantage of. I want you to see both halves of just this one word. Yes, there are the consequences when we do something that is wrong. Justice means there is punishment for those, for those, for those actions of injustice. 
But it goes on to say that actually there's a restorative justice, meaning that those who have social power in the day, I'm going to show you this in a second, there's social power in the day, those who are of the ruling class, they're actually supposed to look out for the rights of those who have less social power in their day. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22, goes on to very quickly say that watch out for the immigrant, make sure that they're cared for just as you care for yourself. Leviticus is sort of the ABCs of how to do life with God. And this is very close to the heart of God. So you'll see Mishpat 